One of the unfortunate ramifications of suffering is it can lead you to question your value and place in the world. When suffering eliminates your capacity, when suffering changes your plans, when suffering changes you yourself, you can wonder, who am I and what do I even offer? In fact, in the hardest moments of suffering, we can begin to feel like we are at best an inconvenience on others, or at worst, an irredeemable problem for those that we love. So suffering can really do a number on our understanding of value and place. And it doesn't make it any better that we as the church don't always navigate this well. This was a recurring theme in the questioning series as well as in many of the conversations. We as a spiritual body can do a really poor job at honoring the full body. So what do we do if we feel like we don't have value or place in this world or even in the church? If you've been listening for a while, you already know Michaela. Michaela shared during the questioning series, and she and I have had many conversations over the years. So I was really grateful when she reached out to share during this season, even though I thought this season was about to wrap up. And I'm glad it didn't, because the conversation Michaela invites us to is an important one. Because the truth is this, you do have value, and you do have a place. The trick is learning how to believe that and how to step into it. You're listening to episode 132 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for Michaela and our friendship and our conversations and just your prompting for her to reach out for today's conversation. And we just know that you are a creative God, a wise God, but we also know that whatever you have in store may be abundant more that we could ask or imagine. So we want to release it all to you. We want to thank you for this opportunity to talk. And we just pray that you would just show yourself as God and good in this space. So this conversation is yours and we are yours. Let's pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So, Michaela, you and I go way back now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking years now. We've had many, many, many conversations, but you are in the select group of people who have been on multiple episodes. So you get a special jacket. And, no, you don't get it. <laughs> I'll be waiting for it in the mail. <laughs> I know. So here's why I'm particularly excited about this conversation. So when we talked on the podcast last time, you had shared that you'd been listening to the podcast. I'd often thought, well, what if I was on there? What if I shared my story? But it was a while before you finally felt God saying, Michaela, go be on an episode. And then you did. Then you probably weren't planning on doing another one anytime until recently. <laughs> you messaged me and you're like, hey, I know you were about to wrap up the sitting and suffering season, but I think God wants me to be on an episode. <laughs> and that makes me excited because that tells me God has something in store. So. Before we jump in, for anyone that hasn't heard your previous episode, what would you want them to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Mm, That is a very good question. (laughs) I don't know if this connects to the previous episode or not, but what I've come to learn is that my central identity is as a beloved disciple of God. And I think that that tells you everything you need to know about me. Like I am on this journey of following Jesus wherever he leads. And so it goes through some rough patches. Mm -hmm. It goes through valleys and mountains, but I trust and I follow. I love it. Yep. 
That's all you need, right? Yes. <laughs> so I feel like to jump right in, you know, you did feel this out of nowhere prompting from God to reach out about this current series. So I just want to start there. Tell me about what was going on in your mind and heart when God whispered, hey, psst, Michaela, reach out to Paul. So that is a good question. For me, this wasn't necessarily out of nowhere. Mm. I think through the healing series and the suffering series, like I knew that my story connected with those things. And so I was always wondering in the back of my mind, okay, do I need to tell my story? But I think that I didn't get that like strong conviction that I needed to until really last week. Mm -hmm. I think that there have been many things building for a while, just like in how I've been processing my own story and how God has been revealing himself to me. And so everything just kind of came together in the past week or so where everything is just super, super clear in my mind of how God has been working and how he's been doing abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. So yeah, yeah my story reflects that. And yeah, I think it's the right time. Yeah. Well, one thing I love about the way that God makes these connections is, you know, in the healing series, in the suffering series, there are very specific people with very specific stories. And yet, God can use those stories to create some cross sections with someone who's listening, who is a different person with a different story. So tell me about some of those cross sections as you've been following along on other people's stories. What are those moments that you felt like God was pointing out something to you or making you feel seen or making something resonate? So I'm going to go back all the way back to the very early episodes of the podcast so this was November 2018, the ninth episode, I believe it's called Unity in the Pit. Mm. In that episode, we hear the stories of Garland and of Murray and your story as well, just in being in this really, really hard season and these really, really hard experiences where it just seems like the ground has fallen out from under you and you're stuck there in the darkness, in the overwhelmingness of the uncertainty, the pain, just all the experiences that feel like you're stuck in a pit and like you can't get out. It really started there for me because in November 2018, I was in my own pit. This was going to be my senior year of college, but I had been for a while at that point struggling with anxiety and depression. Since the fall of my junior year, so that would be 2017, I had begun to realize that something was wrong. Everything just started to fall apart. I had been this straight A student. I had been a high achiever. School had always come easy for me. But junior year, everything started to unravel, where now I was feeling anxious and depressed and struggling with shame and with not understanding what my worth was, feeling like I was too weak, feeling like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't produce, I couldn't perform like I was supposed to, like everyone expected me to as a student and just in life. And so everything started to unravel that junior year. And I was able to scrape by semester after semester. The final nail in the coffin hit that fall in 2018 when I lost my spot in my honors program. Mm -hmm. I was doing undergraduate research, which I loved and I was excited for that. 
But a series of events over junior year finally culminated in that I lost my spot. And for me, that was like, now what? Mm -hmm. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? I couldn't function. And I felt like I was going down this spiral semester after semester, year after year. And I couldn't find my way back up. November 2018, listening to Garland's story and Murray's and yours of being in that pit, I was like, I am here too. And it was this moment of realizing that nothing was wrong with me. This is just where I was. Like, I felt like this was all on me. Like I was somehow to blame. I was all alone in this. I started to realize that, hey, like I'm not the only one going through this. And there are others who had gone before me and others who were there with me in this pit. And somehow that made it feel like I was a little less alone Mm -hmm. because going through these hard experiences is so easy to feel isolated, so easy to feel disconnected from others. Like they don't understand or they want something from you that you just can't give. But I started to realize then that this darkness was so overwhelming at times, but there was light here. Not just with the presence of Jesus and sitting with me here in the darkness, but the presence of others as well. And so nothing got better really after that. There were these moments that I was still so deeply entrenched under all the weight of everything. But there were also these moments that just in the stories of others, in the presence of others, it just felt like I wasn't quite as alone as I thought. Yeah. And I think you make a good point there, too, where there are points where the darkness feels oppressive and you can feel hopeless in the midst of it. But then you can come to this realization where you're not alone, that Jesus is with you, that there is light. But you made this good point that that doesn't necessarily mean then everything gets better and everything is great. You know, you're talking about moments as far back as the fall of 2018. And here we are in 2022. And so the journey still <laughs> was going for you, this navigating through the pit. And so what did God continue to teach you about sitting and suffering as the years passed? I think that God was teaching me that I didn't have to fight it. Mm. <laughs> and I know that reflects your own story as well, because in that episode, you talk about just fighting so much to crawl yourself out of that pit. And I think that I was trying to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Or like, I felt like I should be doing that. I shouldn't be here. I should be up above ground with everyone else and I should be functioning like normal. Mm-hmm. But I think it took me a minute to realize that there are some experiences where we are invited to let go of striving, mm-hmm. of fixing, of trying to fight our way out of pain and darkness. But I think that over time, I had to come to a point where I realized I could just let go. Like, I felt like I come to the end of my rope, you know, at the end of myself. And like, I was like trying to hold on for dear life. But something about the presence of God and all of that and the presence of little moments of light, of encouragement, 
made me realize that I could let go. I don't have to keep striving. I don't have to keep fighting. I could let go because where I was, God was there as well. He was with me and he was holding me even when it felt like I was falling into nothing. Yeah. What I think is unique about your story is you're talking about being in this space where you are in college, where there are so many hefty expectations, right? Like there is a time frame expectation. Mm -hmm. This is how long college is supposed to take. There are grade expectations. There are future expectations of this is working towards this, which is working towards this. Mm -hmm. There are people expectations, whether it's your peers, your teachers, your family. You're having to be in this space where you're on this spiritual journey of on a broad level, realizing no matter what the circumstances are, you could be content even if you're in the pit. And that's all good and well, but then you're still operating in this world where you have all of these other pressures. How did you come to navigate that? Because I feel like there are a lot of people that are probably in a similar space where it's like, I like what you're saying on one level. I love the spiritual element. But you don't understand the pressures I have at my school or my job or this, that, and the other. And I don't know how to just stop worrying. Mm -hmm. Look, I do not have the answer to that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I struggled because, yeah, I felt all of that pressure from family, from school, from friends, and from future expectations. I felt all of that. But I think that what made the difference for me is trusting that God is leading me where he wants me to go. And that may look far different than everywhere else that like people say I should be going or that I should be pursuing. Like I said, like as a disciple of Jesus, I have come to follow him wherever he leads. And it really began there in this experience of anxiety and depression and everything just falling apart as far as what my future looks like. Mm -hmm. When I had nothing to fall back on, Jesus was there yeah. and he was inviting me, hey, this is super difficult. But I actually have other ideas for you. And I'm not going to tell you what they are yet, <laughs> but just trust me. Mm -hmm. Again, we could say this over and over because God is doing abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. I just started to trust that. And I mean, nothing really got better. Like I said, <laughs> it took years to get out of that place yeah. for to go through that valley, that darkness. And really, it's only begun to turn around in the past year or so. But I can look back now and I can trace the path where God was leading me. And yes, it looks like everything falling apart. But God was still working. Yeah. And he's left me here. Yeah. Well, I love that you emphasize that God was leading you. And then I wrote something down and then you ended up saying it which is you weren't saying that God was telling you where to go. But that's what we want it to look like. We want God to tell us, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to finish out this major or not? Am I supposed to get this job or not? Am I supposed to move to this place or not? God, tell me. But what you're saying is that God wants to lead us and he may not tell us. His desire is for us to simply, as you put it, follow him wherever he's going. Even and especially if it's somewhere that we wouldn't have gone or didn't even know we could go. And I think that's so important because the destination changes, right? Because it's not I'm getting to this degree or I'm getting to this job. It's I'm getting to where God is. 
And I love that you pointed out that that in and of itself doesn't make everything feel better. And partly because part of that journey is learning to let go of our expectations, learning to not be ruled by the external pressures and the internal pressures. That's the journey. And then when we get down the road and we've released some of those weights that we had just piled on our backs, that's when we can actually have the strength to turn around, look back and say, okay, that makes sense now. Okay, I can see why God kept on putting up a barrier <laughs> for this direction. Or I can see why this goal that I thought was the best thing wouldn't have been the best thing based on what I know now. But it all starts with that willingness to be led by God. And, you know, everyone loves to pull on Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. But the beautiful thing about a shepherd is the shepherd doesn't say, hey, sheep, go over there to that field. <laughs> the shepherd leads them. The shepherd knows that the sheep don't know how to get where they need to go, don't necessarily know what they need, don't know how to defend themselves, don't know how to provide for themselves. So the shepherd goes with them, leads them, takes them, protects them, feeds them, guides them. And that's the God that we're talking about is the good shepherd, <laughs> the one who does want to lead us. And fortunately, in his wisdom, he knows how little we actually understand and is still gracious with us when we push back, when we demand to be told and when we demand answers. You know, you mentioned that within the last year, you've gone from this place where four years ago, anxiety and depression were pulling you down. We're, we're feeling like they were clouding your understanding what was ahead. And just to pause to name there, like this is a recurring story that I'm hearing from people, the reality of the power of anxiety and depression, the reality that we've got a name that those things do exist and they do have an impact. And it's not just, oh, just shrug it off, shake it off, put on a happy face. No, those are real challenges that sometimes can be robust and also may take robust navigation, right? So I want to name that piece, but you were in this place four years ago, and then you've just mentioned that within the last year, you were finding yourself in a different place. So tell me about that part of the journey. Mm. Well, that has looked like, not like what I expected, because for a long time, I thought, okay, so if I'm not doing school, I should get a job, like I should be starting my career, right? So I started to look for jobs and then like nothing was working out. And so I did something that I didn't think I would have to do, which is I just got a part-time job in retail. For me, this was like totally skewing the expectations of others. This is a step backward. But I think that God was using that to say like, no, hey, wait, I have other plans. You're going to stay here for a minute. But you'll see how this works out in the end. And so, yeah, it was really over that period, over this past fall and winter, that I think God was just giving me time to heal and to rest mm -hmm. because the past four years was brutal. And so just through like the day-to-day -day routines of like going to work, coming back, being with family, making dinner, all these kinds of things. I think God was giving me time to rest mm -hmm. and to process everything that had happened and to start to see how he had been healing me all that time, even through that period of darkness and that pain and that anxiety and depression. Like God was healing in me things that had been rooted in me for so long, feeling like my worth was tied to how productive I was, how I performed, how others thought of me. Did I meet everyone's expectations of me? Did I exceed them? And so like he was unwrapping all of that through that time. And I really started to see the full picture. There had been moments before, like through that, where I started to understand, yeah, God's doing some like heavy work in you right now. 
like my identity had been so tied up in who I was as a student, but even more than that, as someone with the ability to perform, someone with the ability to be a high achiever. And then like that guy unraveled very quickly. But in the midst of all that, I started to realize that that was not the foundation of who I was. The foundation of who I was was, like I said, being a beloved disciple of God, of Jesus. And what I started to go back to was the words that the Spirit said over Jesus at his baptism. You are my son, my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And I started to realize, hey, that's true of me. Like we are beloved sons and daughters of God. And that is the foundation of our identity and our willingness to follow God into the midst, even through the valleys and the mountains and anywhere he takes us. That became the foundation of my identity. Yeah. You know, just now when you were saying we're sons and daughters of God, what it made me think of is another way some people could put that is sons and daughters of the king. And it made me think of the sons and daughters of royalty do not live normal lives. <laughs> they don't have to live by the same rules and expectations that everybody else does. And you and I have talked about how much we appreciated Tola's story number of episodes back, The Deceit of Normalcy. She and I had a conversation around how the world has these expectations around what is normal and what your job should look like and what you should do with your time. As you were talking, I was thinking of a conversation with another friend who was a previous guest where we've talked about similar things. And he's weighing out this idea that he feels like God's inviting him to leave his job. But his human logic is saying, but if I leave my job, what about this, this, this and this? And so much is tied to, on one level, his practical needs, but on the other level, on the larger level, is the expectations of others. And what you've just been sharing is you are having to navigate this space where there are a lot of expectations around college. And, you know, you mentioned you started a debate, if I didn't finish this and just got a job, what does that look like? There are a lot of external expectations that say, wait, but you can't not finish. <laughs> wait, what about the money that was in it? What about your degree? What about your future? What about, what about, what about, what about? And yet what you've just described over the last year has been an incredibly healing season, a freeing season in a lot of ways, a season still with its own challenges, but something that was not what you would have expected. And it made me think of this reality that if... <laughs> The way we think about life, it's almost like we're expecting that when we die and get to heaven, God's going to pull up our resume and look at how we spend our time and be like an employer who sees a gap and wait a minute, you've got a four year gap here in employment. What was going on there? And look down on that because any gap where you're not being productive when you're getting a job is a bad thing. But that's not how God operates. <laughs> God isn't going to pull up our resume and see how productive we were. What he's looking for is how willing we were to seek him and step towards him. And you were trying to do this to the best of your ability, still wondering, am I actually hearing God in this? Is this actually what God wants? But then you took a step. And what you found is that God brought some needed healing that you wouldn't have been able to get if you were filling up your time with school or work or whatever. You wouldn't have known that that was the approach, but God in his wisdom was saying, just trust me. Just do this for a season. You're like, yeah, but God, part-time jobs are set back. No, 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 don't, don't worry about that. 
And what I love about all this is I had asked the question earlier and your first response was, I don't have an answer to that. And I was actually saying something similar to someone else. I was a guest on a podcast last night and it's focused on finding your niche. And he was saying, what kind of things do people come to you for answers on? And I'm like, I mean, honestly, (laughs) I feel like I often find myself in conversations about these big moments in life, these transitions in life, these moments of trying to find direction. But I don't feel like I'm there to give answers because I think the answers we're looking for aren't actually the answers we need. The answer we need is what you've demonstrated is what does it look like to the best of our ability to seek God? You know, here you are at this place now, right? That you knew the trajectory you were supposed to be on four years ago. You found yourself on a different trajectory, and yet you're cognizantly aware that the journey is not over. So now at this juncture, what does your journey with God look like? Just trusting that God is with me. Like I'm in the thick of like starting a new job. I'm learning the ropes. I am managing all of my family responsibilities, and I am just trying to hold everything together. And so it just feels like, oh, everything has been just so intense for so long. But I think I've gotten to this place where I just like, even in the day to day, where like, I feel like, oh, did I pray today? Like, did I give enough time to God? Like, it just feels like I've kind of let go some of that anxiety and just trust that like God is with me. And like, I am doing the things that God has set before me just in my job, in my family, and in forming relationships, in seeking a new church. And so I see God in the midst of all that I'm doing. I still don't know where I'm going. I have no idea what's ahead, but I see little seeds being planted here and there of like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to be doing this. Maybe this is an invitation for me. And so like, I'm starting to trust, oh wait, I can take that up. I can take on that invitation, even if I don't know where it's going, even if it's something that I wouldn't have chosen, I can trust that in all things, God is leading me where he wants to go. And that looks like peace to me. I didn't think I would have this peace in who I am and what I'm doing and in where my life is going because for so long I didn't have that. Like in that darkness and that overwhelming and oppressive uncertainty of where am I going? What is happening? Am I going to make it out of this? And now that I have, I realize God was leading me here all along. And that reminds me of my favorite verse. It's in some psalm, but it's as a deer pants for water. So my soul longs for you. And I think that God has brought me to a place where that is true. And going back to Psalm 23, where he leads me beside still waters, he refreshes my soul. And I think that I've come to a place where like, that is true for me. Yeah. Well, and what you're painting is a picture of a reality that I think everyone in some way is longing for, but trying to get to in different ways. So to have an understanding of who you are, and for those who are believers to have an understanding of who God is, we will work and toil to try to get to that place. If we're tying our identity to our career or the value we produce, then we will exhaust ourselves in all these ways trying to get to it. What we definitely wouldn't do (laughs) is not finish school or get a part-time job or all these things that what you've discovered is where you have found this peace. 
that you were longing for. Like even when you're talking about the anxiety of seeking God, like that's something that I think we don't name enough in the church that we do produce a lot of anxiety around, am I doing enough or am I doing things the right enough way for God to then meet with me? We treat God as though he's like a boss. Like I was in a hard work situation where I felt like if I didn't perform exactly as my boss was expecting, even if it was unreasonable, if I didn't produce the results that he wanted, even if they were unrealistic, then I was going to be mistreated. Right? And so I can think the same way about God. If I don't pray enough, if I don't produce enough spiritually good things, then is God going to love me? And like you, it is so freeing to be in a place where I'm not basing my experience with God on that. God's love for me is not contingent on what I do. I don't have to pray a certain amount for it to then unlock God's love for me. Prayer is a way of showing my love to God, but his love for me is existing whether or not <laughs> I am living into my expectations of what a good Christian is. And so you found yourself at this freeing place that people are toiling and exhausting themselves to reach. And the invitation is to simply seek God first, to simply trust him. But it does come at a bit of a cost because to be in this place, you have had to accept the reality of the future being unknown. And yet it's only unknown on a certain level. It's unknown as far as what you practically will be doing a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. But on another level, it's not unknown. You know you will be with God. You will be in God's presence. You will be where God wants you to be, even if you don't know where that is. That's a hard thing to release because we are conditioned to always have to know, to always be prepared. And being prepared is not a bad thing. But you've heard me say a million times this reality of the invitation of holding things loosely, because there's plenty of scripture that talk about we don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, don't say I'm going to go to this place and do this, that and the other because you don't actually know what tomorrow will bring. You can make your plans, but then hold them loosely. And when we look at scripture, all the people that we hold up as heroes of the faith, they all had seasons like you have had where they were trying to seek God and they were invited to this space and they had no idea what was ahead. Joseph was having dreams, <laughs> had a recognition God wanted to use him for something. Being enslaved and imprisoned were not part of his plans, <laughs> would have looked like failure to the world and could have looked like failure to him were it not for his confidence that God was still God and God was still good. David knew that God had anointed him to be king, being pursued by Saul and threatened with death were not part of his plans. <laughs> to have to be in hiding in caves for years, that looked like failure to the world and could have looked like failure to him were it not for his confidence that God was God and God is good. And so you're right. There's just so many spaces in which these things that God is inviting you to could look like failure. And yet, you know that God knows better than you. You know that God is God and God is good. And so to the best of your ability, you're trying to just step forward, <laughs> trusting that God will be there. And then the more you see that work out, the more you feel this peace, the more you're freed from the pressures and the expectations that for so long felt normal the more you can live into the craziness that God's inviting you to. <laughs> so let's say there's someone else out there that's in that pressure-filled space, whether it's school or a job, where they feel these external and internal expectations. And right now, they feel like they're sitting and suffering because they don't know what to do. Things are not working out. They are not sure how to get ahead. What would you say to someone who's sitting in that space? I would say what I wish someone had told me it is okay to just be and to 
release all the expectations of what you thought you would be doing by now, all the things you thought would be what your life would look like. I wish someone had told me that the core of who you are is not what you do, but is simply being who God has made you to be. And even when you can't do a single thing, even when you don't feel like you measure up, that well of love, that foundation of love that God has for you still remains. Yeah, I love that when you said to be who God made you to be, immediately made me think of how we can, on one level, nod our heads at that, because that sounds like something we're supposed to believe as believers. <laughs> but then it can get hard when we start to question who we are. Because we'll compare ourselves to people that seem better, that seem more valuable, that seem like God is using them in bigger ways, that seem like they have more to offer the world. And then we can look at ourselves and say, but what do I have to offer? Who am I? It's like Gideon. When God reached out to him, he's like, hold up. Like, I'm the least of the least of the least of the least. I'm not good for anything. I have nothing to offer. I think this is something that's really important for us to name because there are, again, so many external and internal expectations and pressures that are demanding that we have to look and operate in a certain way. And those are very hard to break. If we spend our whole lives being conditioned around that, seeing it in people around us, seeing that celebrated by people around us, seeing it in movies and shows and in music and everywhere, everywhere around us, then yeah, it doesn't just seem stupid to break from that, but it seems risky because if you're wrong... <laughs> and you head in an unproductive direction, then you could ruin your life. You know, I got this image of who God made us to be, bringing it back to how often we're described as the body of Christ. And if we were to take all the body parts and list them out in the most valuable to the least valuable, like nobody wants to be the appendix or the pinky toe or <laughs> like something that we just see as useless, right? And what do we do if that is who God made us to be? How do we get to a place where we stop devaluing the very thing that God created on purpose? If we have come to believe that we do not have value and we do not have much to offer, then what we are actually doing is questioning God's wisdom and judgment and creating us exactly how he created us. You know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We are intentionally created and God positioned us where he's positioned us for a reason. So if I'm sitting here saying, well, I have nothing to offer, God can't do much with me, then I'm actually questioning the God of the universe. Because <laughs> meanwhile, God's saying, no, I made you how I made you, placed you how I placed you for a reason, for a purpose. Some of it may be about you and your life. Some of it may have nothing to do with you and your life, but I'm using you for something greater. But why are you questioning my judgment here? And so we're being invited here to even hold that loosely our understanding of ourselves and value and purpose to say, God must know better than I do. So if this is who he's made me to be, and my mind says it's less than others, I'm going to still step into that space, trusting that God knows better. And it's a hard but beautiful invitation. But this is the other thing you said that I wanted to name is you said, I wish someone had told me. And all I could think was how grateful I am about your steps of obedience and even having a conversation today. And the same thing with the last conversation, your steps of obedience there, because you are actually letting yourself be used by God to be that for someone else, 
to be the voice that you wish you had heard. Now, someone else doesn't have to say that five, 10 years from now. Oh, I wish someone had told me because I do believe there will be someone that listened to this and says, wow, I'm so grateful I heard Michaela share what she shared. I'm so grateful that she was humble (laughs) and vulnerable about her story because that's where I am. And now I can hold to something that I didn't feel like I could hold on to before. And so I want to thank you for doing that, but also just say broadly, this is why God gives us the invitation to share what he's doing in our lives, to share what we're wrestling with in our lives, to share how we're navigating things because we get to be that for others where we wish we had had it ourselves. And, you know, so much of what you've shared, it just encourages me because you're saying things that I was beginning to say just a few years ago. And we've got a number of years between us. <laughs> and so you are landing on some spiritual truths and realities that I wish I had landed on <laughs> when I was your age. I don't have to lament that, right? Because God has used my life in the ways that he's used it for the reasons that he's used it. But it can give me excitement and encouragement that you now have truths that by the time you get to my age, <laughs> like... God can do some really beautiful things, right? And now, because you're sharing it, others who may be younger than you are going to be navigating life with those truths earlier than you did, right? And so it's this, oh, man, the invitation of what God's doing here beyond us is just so, so beautiful. As we close out, you know, I know there's a lot that God often places on your heart. And so is there anything else on your heart that you feel like God's prompting you to share before we go? So I wrote something. Not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) But I do want to share just as a wrap up of everything we've been talking about. Something that I wrote of my own account of just being in that season of darkness. Mm. So do you mind if I share that? I would love for you to share it. Jesus is sitting in the darkness with me. It has been so long. My eyes have adjusted to navigate in the darkness, but I'm still living here in the shadows as if it were night. Jesus, however, is a source of light in this darkness. He himself is the light, but sometimes the darkness, the pain, the loneliness gets so overwhelming. How long, O Lord? Sometimes it still seems like there's no light at all that I am all alone here. But then God shows me there are others here in this darkness who have been here before me and are here with me. They too carry light with them and they offer it to me, helping me to navigate in this darkness. For I'm not just in a pit, but I've simply sunk deep enough to discover this network underground where we all have landed. Others have learned to make their home here in this darkness, this death-like place. And so have I. They share their light with me, guiding me through these tunnels of darkness. And over time, I find that I too have my own light. And so we make our home here, for as long as we are meant to be here. For here is where the true light is with us, among us.
1 Corinthians 12 says this starting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Michaela found herself in a space where she may have been created as a hand, but was expected to function as a foot. And she tried to squeeze herself into that shoe, but knew something wasn't right. And when she thought about leaving the shoe, that didn't feel right because of the expectations floating around her internally and externally. What brought her freedom was deciding to determine who God made her to be and to live into that. And in the midst of suffering, that can be hard because we question our value. We question our place and we feel like others may be questioning those things as well. But who we are is never a question for God. He knows precisely who he's made us to be. But church, we are really bad at living out this passage. This passage describes accurately how we treat our physical bodies but we don't mirror that with the body of Christ. We do question our place because we're not as good as another. We do question others because they're not as good as us. We don't treat as indispensable those that we've determined are weak, and we don't honor those that we have determined are less honorable. 
We don't respect the body. And when that happens, we're not respecting God. God is the one who created the body, and God is the one who determined where each one of us parts should be. And that's why some of our suffering can get so deep, because we're not trusting God's wisdom and how he created us and where he's placed us. I want to say this very clearly. You do have value, and you do have a place. It does not matter what you think you do or don't bring to the table, and it does not matter how much you feel like your suffering is inconveniencing yourself or others. You have value, and you have a place, as you are and where you are right now. The invitation is to ask God to reveal that to you and then to step towards it. The enemy wants you to believe that you will only have value if you can change who you are, change your circumstances, or get out of the way completely. And God wants you to know that he's with you right now, inviting you to say, here I am. Michaela has found peace in a space that she never would have chosen. And though her journey still continues, what she's learned is that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Her job wasn't to figure it all out, but was to seek him first and then to follow him. Whatever suffering you're in the midst of right now, that invitation is true for you today. You can seek God now and you can follow him, even if you can only sense him vaguely, because he has created you with value and he has created you with a place and he has created you for a purpose beyond yourself, beyond the fixing of your suffering something abundantly more than you can ask for or imagine. This is the invitation for you today, if you're willing to accept it. So in the midst of your suffering today, accept that invitation and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should, since it's part of the Bible. Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what Revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal Revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free. Get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. 
you can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group, and you will love listening to the rest of their music, so check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?